Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Everybody and welcome to the 75th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is one of your hosts, uh, Brian Emhauser, uh, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. And I've got to bring in the rest of the crew right away. We've honestly already been talking about really silly food takes that Evan has and Jeff coming to Seattle for the Raven game. It's going to be big. We're going to get Cable Thanos, Josh Cashman down for that game. Nathan's going to be at – the Ravens game is going to be pretty freaking cool just based off of uh, the people in attendance. Um, but, Evan, you were just going on about the fact that you believe – you honestly believe that you can manipulate the kitchen staff based on how you order nachos. Uh, at Evan Hill, SEA on Twitter, please explain. Yeah, so this is not just a theory. This has been tested, hypothesized, verified, and documented over hundreds of visits to Matador. I'm pre- I lived next to Matador in downtown Redmond for, for a year, about a year ago. And I was visiting Matador probably three to four times a week. Um, I'm pretty sure I gained like 20 or 30 pounds that summer. It was not super healthy. But the whole theory is that the main toppings you want on top of the nachos, you ask for them on the side it mentally manipulates the chef into putting more nachos, more cheese, and more steak. You end up actually getting more food because what happens is they end up putting their normal amount and it doesn't look super filling because there's no toppings on it. And they're like, oh, I can't send this piece of garbage out. So they add extra nachos, they add extra cheese, they add extra steak. And when it comes out to you, you get a way better value. Uh, I can only go to... Uh, Nathan Ernst after that uh, soliloquy from Evan uh, at Nathan E11 on Twitter. 
what do you make of this this uh, this take from Evan? I I don't think restaurant kitchens work this way, and I think you have the whole order of the thing wrong because they do the chips and the cheese and the not the steak and everything first. So they just put on what they put on, and then I'm pretty sure somebody else is responsible for the like the finishing toppings, like the green onions and stuff. So yeah. I, I don't think it. I don't think they care. I think they just make a plate of nachos. I think this is very much like Evan's general takes on football. You know, there's there's maybe a fundamental misunderstanding of how coaches, like what head coaches do, versus what the rest of the team does. Well, wow, I didn't know we were setting him up for that. <laughs> I just got baited. You, you took yeah. me there. You took me there with the, the the way that the food is prepared may not be exactly how Evan has it in his head, but you know, Jeff, uh, you know. You're probably more of a poutine guy up there in uh, in Canada. You know, do you have any experience with manipulating chefs based off of asking for the the fries on the side and getting more <laughs> cheese curds or anything like that? No, no, I don't. I'm actually willing to give Evans' approach a shot. I want to see what happens. But you guys ever eat a Chipotle? Of course. Sure. One of the things I learned about Chipotle, if you ask for two different meats, they don't know how to do proper half and half. And they give you way more when you get two different meats instead of one. Mm. That's how I've manipulated chefs in the past. But Okay, I, I, I have a test for you. When you guys go to Matador the, or this next weekend, not this weekend, but the following weekend for the Ravens game, get one plate, Brian and Nathan's way, whatever, the garbage way. And then Jeff, I want you to follow my specific instructions and see – Whose nachos plate is bigger? I like this. I I'm actually willing to do that. Yeah. I let the data, that. let the science prove itself. There is something to what you were just saying, though, Jeff. Uh, at our cafeteria at work, uh, we have Taco Tuesdays, right? And, you know, I'll go in there and get a taco salad, and I'll say, they really want you to just pick one meat, right? And so you say, if you say, I want chicken and steak, then they give you like a little bit of both. But if you say, I want chicken, and then you say, and can I have some steak? You definitely get more meat that direction. Okay, okay. I have a theory on this too. Cause like, uh, if you go to like Panda Express or something yeah. and you get the two entrees, don't say, and Panda Express I think is wise to this now because they make you say both of them first, but a lot of places don't do this. If you order your first entree and just kind of wait and don't say the next one, I am pretty sure they will kind of just sit there and keep scooping usually. Oh, wow. If you say the next entree, it's a cue to stop and go. And if you don't, I think you get Ooh. more. So, I so guess mental I manipulation, of, mental I'm manipulation of the chef. Anyone here of having crazy theories on how to manipulate service workers? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. You know, this, this is really, this is really, uh, meant to be a life hack show for how to manipulate uh, service workers. We don't do Seahawks anymore. You, you thought this was your <laughs> coming. We're pivoting to nachos. If, if look, we're getting we're getting crap in the in the chat. People are like, I thought we were going to talk Seahawks. If you don't understand that how to order nachos and how to optimize your nacho order is part and parcel to being a football fan, then we have issues we're going to need to resolve over the next few episodes at least. But uh, look, hey, it, it, I was just talking with Evan before we even started the show. This is a kind of crazy feeling. I, I don't remember this kind of feeling in, in the past few years where 
Seahawks played, it felt like ages ago, right? It was like Thursday that they played and it was a huge game. We had like a crazy post game show with us like using R-rated language throughout. And for the people that came on early, they got to see Evan just basically mumbling to himself and then swearing every few seconds while trying to figure out how to get the show started. And, and then, you know, watch the weekend full of games and now we're, we're facing we're you know heading up face a browns team that just got their butts kicked it feels odd and and i'll tell you um let's start here one of the things that i've noticed and i don't know if this is just among the real hawk talk crew or not but um huge win seahawks go four and one they beat a rival that they haven't beat in like two and a half years maybe two years. I don't know. I can't remember exactly how long. And I kind of feel a little bit pessimistic about, like, I'm not sure how good the Seahawks are right now. Like I've kind of gone this route and there was a lot of kind of critical comments coming out in our chat over the last few days. I will start with Jeff Simmons, who was kind of bucking that trend. You feel better about the Seahawks after watching the weekends full of games um, tell us why. Tell us, tell us where you are in the Seahawks right now. Okay, so first, most of my comments came before that 49ers game. That kind of got me a little nervous after watching what happened there. But we'll take a backseat for a second. I, I watch – I have a bunch of TVs, a bunch of screens going on. For, our, for us, is, for you guys, it's the 10 o'clock game. For me, it's the 1 o'clock games. And I usually try to watch as much as I can. And without having the Seahawks on, without having to like sweat for three hours and stress about it, I was able to just sit back and watch the rest of the league. And I watched the Chiefs and I watched the Eagles and the Vikings. And and I came out of there thinking like, there isn't that many good teams in the NFC. And there's a lot of teams who are kind of in the same boat. We're kind of jumbled together and we can debate who's the best of them. But watching the way Russell has played and watching, and we talk about quarterback all the time and what determines best chance of winning and that's usually the passing game and the quarterback i found myself optimistic even though the seahawks definitely have some flaws about where they are and just because of how good russell's playing and i think some of the other elements of their team are going to get better over time and how chris carson's been playing the last two weeks i found myself thinking this team has a shot they're definitely flawed but i found myself just thinking because of how good russell's playing and just how wide open the league looks I felt pretty good after watching that win, despite how infuriating it was. And until I saw that Niners game, that kind of maybe maybe double think and maybe step back, but they look pretty scary. But I just don't see who the true contender is, especially what's happened with Dallas and Green Bay has been up and down. I just don't see who scares me right now in the NFC. Well, so Evan, you know, I, I we saw different rankings of the Seahawks around. Uh, I think they are, I want to say like eighth in DVOA. Am I right? Around somewhere around there. I think they're, I think they're fifth in in my rankings formula. We saw them pro football talk. I don't think it's formula based, but they had them as third. Uh, do you think the Seahawks are the third best team in the NFL right now? Yeah, it's a good question because I'm typically the optimistic guy that's saying, you know, hey, they're gonna go 12 and 4, 13 and 3, whatever. Um, if you ask me the question right now, are the Seahawks a top five team in the NFL? I don't think so. I really don't think so. And I know their record may indicate so. And I understand that Russell Wilson, you know, is playing lights out, like out of his mind. Yeah, he's 
he's like a strong, strong MVP candidate, if not the front runner right now. Um, my concerns are not really offensive based with this team, which is odd because we've been so critical of Pete Carroll, Brian Schoenheimer in terms of, you know, decisions they've made with the offense in game decisions with the offense, which there is some valid criticism to be had there. But my concern is really more over the defense we have, what were we ranked? I think in DVOA, we were ranked like middle of the pack, 22nd. Yep. In defensive DVOA. Yep. We're number three in offense, number 22 in defense and 22 in special teams. Wow. Okay. I thought we were even better on defense. I thought we were were. like 16 or (laughs) Okay. Got it. (laughs) Got it. I think, I think, yeah. I mean, the defense is really concerning to me. I think they, I think they have some bright spots in, I think Shaquille Griffin is playing out of his mind this year. I think Rasheem Green is looking really good in his second year. Um, you know, it was raw. His first year is looking really good, stepping up into the role. Quentin Jefferson has played well. Of course, they're playing without Jaron Reed. Um, uh, Clowney is playing super well, obviously, as a pick six, and I think one or two forced fumbles, has a couple sacks. I think he's played super well for a short-term immediate impact. But the pass rush as like a unit has not been consistently productive. And I'm sure we'll get into the reasons as to why that could be. But I think the overall concern I have is that this defense is woefully inconsistent. And I'm not sure, I'm confident in saying that this offense could be Super Bowl contenders. I'm not sure our defense, if they're playing at their current level they are now in the playoffs, I'm not sure they're going to go far. Yeah, so so Nathan, you know, there's a couple ways to look at this, right? There's how good is a Seahawks team in isolation, just, you know, on their own merit. And then there is how good is the rest of the NFL, you know, and where is the Seahawks relative to the rest of the NFL? What, if you wouldn't mind tackle that last part, like, you know, talking about rankings, um, you know, what are the teams that you believe are clearly better than the Seahawks right now? uh i'm probably gonna forget a couple here there's only a couple really like i I think new england um i think you gotta give it to new orleans they've kept winning without breeze they beat seattle uh i I put kansas city ahead of them um and then i think just about everything after that you know we could at least argue about it right uh uh i don't know I, i don't have any other teams that just like jump out to me as clearly better maybe dallas we'll see what dallas is um they haven't really done especially well against any of the uh teams that are halfway decent so who knows what they really are but so maybe it's dallas i mean if you if you do look at it from from that perspective and you look at how the nfl just pushes every team to mediocrity for the most part like it's not crazy to say that the third best team i think that's high but it's maybe only high by a, a couple spots yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, it, there's definitely plenty of sides to this. <laughs> I tend to be more on the optimistic side as well and, and see the, the benefits of where the Seahawks are. And, you know, on one hand, you tell me about the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are not as good as they were last year, um, or at least they're maybe the same, but I'd say they're probably not as good. And I think the Seahawks are better than they were last year. And the Seahawks beat the Chiefs reasonably well last year it wasn't like a blowout but the Seahawks pretty much controlled that game and and beat them so 
on that hand, you could say, yeah, the Seahawks are, you know, a, a team that, that can really beat pretty much any other team in the league. On the other hand, you know, I look at this team and I say, uh, do I, do I feel confident in them right now? Like, not really like the defense, especially as Evan was talking about, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely some holes there. Um, and the offense, as much as Russell Wilson has been just a, you know, MVP for sure. I can't say that I, I believe if they went up against a really tough defense, which I don't know that they faced that many really tough defenses so far that they would, that they would overcome that. Um, I, I, I'd want to see that and, and see how they, they played out and, you know, meanwhile, a team like the 49ers who, you know, I think most people in the league are like paper lion. They haven't played anyone good. They haven't been good in the past. They're undefeated, but I'm not taking them seriously. I see that team tearing their opponents apart, offensively, defensively, and special teams. And to some extent, it matters who you play. To the other extent, you can only play who's on your schedule. And if you're dominating to that degree, that actually says something about the quality of your team. Um, I don't think you can say, you know, you're the best until you play really tough talent or tough, tough opponents. But, you know, I think they've been a lot of what they're doing seems more repeatable to me or a little bit more sustainable. So, you know, I think, you know, I think that they are a pretty good team, but let's, let's do this for a second. Over under game, over under game. The Seahawks are four and one over under for wins. They have, 11 games to go. My math is holding up, right? They've played five games. It's a 16-game season, 11 left. Over-under is uh, six and a half wins. So over is they're going to win at least seven, go seven and four the rest of the way. Under is uh, at most they're going to go six and five the rest of the way. Jeff, over-under, six and a half. I'm going to go under. Under. 11, I think 11 wins, so that's six more wins. No, that would be seven. Oh, okay, over. Over. <laughs> My math is terrible. Okay. Okay, so you got them at least at seven and four. Yeah, seven and four. Where are you? Over, under, six and a half more wins. Me? Uh, sure. I said, oh, okay. but you can be. Oh, all right. I, I didn't hear. Uh, yeah, no, I had seven as well. Okay. You've got seven. I'm Evan. looking over. at the schedule. It's got to be over. I really do believe that. Uh, what did I predict at the beginning of the year? I think I said, did I, did I see 13 and three? I, think I so. could see them. I could see them winning another eight or nine games. I really could. They're playing the Falcons, um, the Bucks, the Ravens, who have really cooled off. The Vikings, who kind of look like trash, um, they play the Panthers, 49ers, Cardinals again. Like, this team could end up winning 13 games. I think they absolutely could. Um, the Seahawks' remaining schedule is the toughest in the NFL. Really? It's the toughest in the NFL. They're, if you look at who they play offensively, um, it's not quite as terrible, but – you know, in terms of uh, defenses that they'll be facing, uh, it is super, super tough. Um, like, <laughs> not that it's uh, the biggest concern for some folks in the pod, but they are facing orders of magnitude. Like, in terms of the run defense that they'll be playing, 
it's like 31 is here in terms of of you know easiest you know, like oh i would say second hardest is right here seahawks are like here there's like a significant gap between number one and number two in terms of difficult run defenses and for a team that likes to run the ball that is a factor but they're also i want to say second hardest uh, in pass defenses uh that they're going to be facing the rest of the way so a lot of friction there and then they're going to be facing some really good offenses as well some of the most efficient offenses so um seahawks have a you know they have a a tough road ahead but they're four and one and i think all of us believe that they really should be five and oh like they absolutely there's a plenty of reason to believe they could have beat that one that saints game you could also argue that they could have lost you know you know almost every game that they've played so and especially that rams game like <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean that one had some people heading for the exits you know so uh... <laughs> I was not leaving. <laughs> not true. Um, it's all about efficiency, man. I don't want to get caught up there. But yeah, it's it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting place, you know, uh, to be where there at least are some questions. But let, let's go back to that game for a second. Um, I know it feels like ages and ages ago, but um, Nathan, you know, I don't think we've heard as much from you on on, on that. What was what was your takeaway from from that win um, over the Rams? Uh, I mean, it was basically just uh, that clip of Evan saying wow over and over again. I think that's still just my take. Just wow, wow. Uh, uh, yeah, wow. Uh, I mean, Russell is amazing. Um, that game was super fun. Um, <clears throat> it'll be really interesting to see what this – the 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 next one looks like they got to go to la which you know not a crazy uh road game or anything but uh it seemed like the rams kind of figured things out as that game went on um and they started off pretty slow and so i don't know if seattle caught them by surprise a little bit with some stuff um now that they've seen each other uh once uh you know they play like week 14 or something like that so they're gonna have to put a lot more on tape between now and then and so it'll be really interesting to see how that next go around um how that goes with just from a coaching and strategy perspective uh yeah i mean you know and then the negative of it is that pete carroll has to get better at the in-game stuff right we've talked about it a lot you you agreed with me on this. Oh, on the, I do. Okay, I'm all right. Because you're right. He's yeah. I'm laughing at the notion that he has to get better at it. He's not going to get better. He's at not. It. He's not. But like this is the stuff. Happen. Like you know, these are the things that will trip up a team in the playoffs, right? Like, and or can right? He's leaving stuff out there, and he's leaving. Um, <clears throat> it's it's going to be fine. They're going to win a ton of games this year, right? I mean, I just said they're going to win at least seven games the rest of the way, so that puts them at eleven wins. They're they're a really good football team, I think. Um, but I don't think that you can make those kind of mistakes game in and game out like we've seen so far. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't expect him to learn new tricks. Um, I've said that about him a few times, but boy, he really should. It'd be great if he did. Um, yeah, I mean, that doesn't track from that game. That game was amazing. That was awesome. They beat a really good football team. Super exciting. Um, beat a rival they hadn't seen forever. I mean, it was just awesome. It was, it was awesome. Uh, you know, one of the storylines, Jeff, in that game was, was, uh, DeMarco Jones yeah. stepping in at right guard. And that's a guy that all of us have been kind of hyped on since last year. 
hoping that he's going to get a chance at right tackle, but he's getting closer. He's off the bench and he's standing next to Jermaine Effetti right now. Um, you know, how big of a deal do you think that is? Like, you know, what do you think he can mean for the offense? You know, it looks like he's going to start again this week against Cleveland. Yeah. And when we were on the show after the game last week, we were all pretty pumped about Jamarco. And I don't know at the time, I didn't know if we were just being like fans or if we were just excited by the result, but his PFF grades were really, really good. Like I think we even undersold him. Like they were surprisingly high and DJ Fluker was getting worked in that game. I know you're not going to see Aaron Donald every week and you're not going to see anyone as good as him all season, but if you can get a guy who's a, a good, a much better pass protector than DJ Fluker, who is like the way they want to play with that run blocking, more powerful guard. But if Jamarco Jones can be a more stable pass protector, that makes a big deal because the offensive line has been a pretty big disappointment all season long. And we were unsure how they would get better without hoping their Phil Haynes came back or Dwayne Brown got better. doesn't sound like DJ Fluker is coming back anytime soon. He's got a hamstring injury. So you can get a guy who's a better pass protector. That's a big deal because, as I say earlier, the best way for this team to win is through Russell Wilson. Their defense isn't that good anymore. And if you can get better at probably a thing they've been pretty bad at all year, that's a big deal, especially with a young player who's can really grow into either one of those spots on the right side. So just to chip in real quick here, I'm looking at the PFF grades. Week 5, 2019 NFL season, Jamarco Jones – with the was the fifth highest graded offensive guard with an overall offensive grade of 79.1 66.1 in pass blocking which is about um middle of the pack but his run blocking was ranked fourth overall so you know what's great th- about that evan um, besides the, the joke that of course i mean the seahawks are used to having offensive linemen ranked in the top four of their position um is if he did well run blocking the chances that solari and pete will support keeping him in the lineup go way up right if if they think that he is just a good pass blocker and maybe not as stout of a run blocker then he finds the pine a little faster so you know i i think we all believe that almost Probably, I mean, I would put Joey Hunt out at run, right tackle and think that he might be a better pass blocker than Jermaine Effetti. But, uh, you know. But I think, I think the comparison is really to DJ Fluker, right? DJ, sure. Fluker, I'm just looking at his PFF stats. Um, DJ Fluker weeks one through four has been the 33rd ranked offensive guard. Um, he has a significantly lower grade than Jamarco Jones in run blocking. Um, he does have a slightly better grade in pass blocking, but as you said, Solari and this team really prioritizes run blocking. And I think Jamarco Jones performance last week gives him a good shot to stay in the lineup, despite that contract extension that they gave to Fluker. Yeah. And I mean, this matters this week, even as they start facing miles Garrett, yes, Garrett's going to be going against a Fetty, but They've also like they've been running twists and stunts with I mean other teams opponents of the Seahawks have and been looking for ways to isolate on the guards and Upati's struggled with that quite a bit he struggled early in that Rams game a lot with twists and was giving up all sorts of pressure and so having a guy like Jamarco Jones who's athletic and young and can move his feet 
could hopefully help even a Fetty um, a little bit on some of those plays. Like we saw it in, I think it was the Steelers game where, you know, Fluker completely just stayed with the guy, ran right into a Fetty and <laughs> did not trade off players. Like, so um, I think that's a big, that's a big turnaround. Um, uh, thank you to Snowdub Music and Entertainment for your uh, donations in the chat. Really appreciate it. Um, and I think we got one earlier from Russian Bot. Thank you for your. And what did and what did Russian Bot say? What did Russian Bot say in his text? Do you remember? Really, like, well, yeah. Maybe you should say it. It's and I quote, "Evan, you're a genius. Live your best life." Thank you, Russian Bot. <sighs> You have to pay money to be able to allow those words to enter the airwaves, but we appreciate we appreciate your contribution. Um, uh, like Nathan, another guy that that kind of literally pulled himself off off the <laughs> off the turf on on Thursday was Tedrick Thompson, and I think we owe it to him to have a bit of a conversation about him. You know, no show, no two guys. I mean, I probably had enough. Uh, as much negative things to say about how Tedrick has played. That's a big play. Um, do you have any different perception on what he's capable of? Do you think that that could be a point where he turns into a more viable starting safety for the Seahawks? Yeah. Uh, like <clears throat> it was one play. It was a huge play. Uh, it was awesome to, for him to have that moment. Like, no, I mean, really it was like, you were standing right there. Like the dude literally ran from one like side of the stadium to the other side of the stadium and like back to the, like he was having the time of his life. And so that was all awesome. But like <clears throat> end of the day, it was one play that he barely made and he missed a lot of tackles in that game. And he was part of the problem when they were getting diced up. And so um, awesome that he did it. <clears throat> Would love to see it happen more, but right now it's it's he ma he's made one play in like 14, 15 starts, and so, um, and and it wasn't like he looked like he had generally turned a, a corner there. So, um, still somehow better than Marcus Blair, which is a mystery. Uh, but I don't think he's shown anything to make the team believe in him more than he than, than they did a week or two ago. Well, let's talk about that for a second. News today in the press conference, Jeff, was that Marquise Blair, Pete's saying that he is settled in at the free safety spot. What do you make of that? What do you, do you think there's anything significant there? Or is that, you know, just where things stand right now? No, I, I think I really agree with Nathan. And I think that only adds what well, pizza today adds to it. Uh, like Tedrick made a great play. That was an unbelievable play. That was a great moment, but that was a pretty fluky, unlikely play. Like he, caught the ball on his fingertips on the ground. Like that's not a sign that things are coming up for him. Maybe his confidence will be better, but he was asked today about the rookie class in general. He, when he started talking, he mostly talked about some of the other guys on the, on the special teams. And then eventually talked about Collier, but he talked about Blair. He did say that he's primarily playing free safety now. And that he, he was just way behind in terms of like knowing the playbook. He was pretty clear about that today. But I think, I think it means that he's closing the gap on Tedrick. He mentioned this week he's going to get a lot more snaps in practice, Blair. He's going to get more snaps in practice. I think that door is closing for Tedrick. And I think if they start to, if the coaching staff starts to trust Blair a little more, I think you're going to start seeing him get snaps and packages. And 
I, I agree with Nathan. I don't think Tedrick is long for this job. I think he continues to make mistakes. He misses tackles. I think there is significance to that comment. And I think, I think the time is coming where he's going to take over a free safety. So interestingly, so uh, folks know, um, you know, we're always looking to, to grow the community and always appreciate folks that subscribe here. But we also have our patrons um, over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. And we, one of the things we try to do uh, to give back to the patrons who are given to us is, is to answer their questions. And Bryce, uh, I think it's Coots, might be Coutts, uh, asks along these lines, asks if the Ted, Tedrick interception will kickstart his career or if we think Colbert or Blair will take his spot this season. So we talked about Blair. I... I don't know, Evan. I mean, where I come down is that I think there's a lot of signals that the coaching staff does not believe Blair can be trusted in a game. And, you know, what, what Pete talked about today is we've, we've moved him to free safety because we, there's less movement in that position in our defense. There's less that you have to be focused, learn. And it really sounds like there's a lot of evidence that says they're really trying to slim down how much he has to learn. And he even said things like he's got guys in front of them that know what they're doing. Like that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty damning way to phrase it. Um, on the other hand, Pete has been pretty bullish on Adrian Col- Colbert. Um, I'm assuming that's how it's not Colbert. Um, I'm going to assume it's Colbert. It is now. It's Adrian uh, Colbert. Maybe that'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, he's another guy that could, could play into that. Um, you know, you've been a big, big supporter of Marquise Blair. Do you, do you still have faith that he's going to be a guy that takes over the starting, starting role this year? Is he a red shirt kind of guy? Yeah, I do. And actually after today's comments, I have even more faith about it. I think the fact that they have zeroed him in on free safety, I think those were the exact words that Pete Carroll used that that is the spot he's going to be competing for. Whereas previously he was sort of like a backup strong safety and a backup free safety haven't really focused on this position competing at this position is exciting to me. You know, Pete Carroll talks about, you know, maybe not or hinting at not trusting him on the football field, worried about, you know, coverage mistakes and stuff like that. But I mean, he could say that, but as a, as a, as an objective fan, I don't know if I trust Tedrick anymore. Um, I probably trust Delano Hill actually more than any of them, but at the end of the day, you know, he's a rookie. He's a few games in, um, you know, if it takes a few extra games for him to learn the schematics, fine. I totally get it. But I do think when it comes down to playmaking ability, Marquise Blair is the best free safety on the team. Um, Adrian Colbert is an interesting one just because um, he's new in the league. He was like a sixth or seventh round, maybe UDFA rookie for the Niners two years ago. He had sort of a crappy year in his second year, and then he was released, and the Seahawks picked him up. So, yeah, it's uh, he was promoted to the 53-man roster recently because um, some other team was trying to snipe him and take him, you know, promote him to the to a, an opponent's 53-man roster. So, um, you know, I think there's some good competition at free safety. I don't think – just to recap on the Tedrick point, Nathan is right. Like, as, as hyped as I was about that one play, like – Pro football focus even confirms, you know, the grades they had for him. Overall offensive grade out of all safeties in week five, Tedrick ranked Tedrick ranked 43rd overall, um, minimum 20. So not super great. Um, 
you know, his tackling rank was one of the worst that entire week. It was like a 28.6 grade, <laughs> bright red in pro football focus colors. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope that interception gives Tedrick the, you know, the confidence boost. And I hope, you know, it sort of jumpstarts his career. However, I think the probability of that is likely low. So looking forward to Marquise Blair and hopefully he can make an immediate impact soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm with you guys on that for the most part. Um, there are a couple other questions here we're going to run through. Uh, one of them comes from uh, Joey who asks uh, – a uh, different line. Um, you noticed that some of the folks on the show have a verified mark on Twitter and other folks don't. And to be specific, Jeff, you, you're the blessed one of the group. Um, talk to us about, you know, how, I don't think a lot of people know your past life um, and talk to us about how you got verified. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, um, I live in Toronto. I worked in Toronto in media starting in 2008, a variety of different jobs, but I worked for a company called Sportsnet, which is eventually the uh, Canadian equivalent to ESPN or Fox Sports, something like that. So when I, I covered a variety of sports, I, I covered the Seahawks game in Toronto in 2012. I covered basketball, baseball, but when a lot of Mariners fans probably won't like this, but when the Jays made their playoff run in 2015, like I was down at the stadium every day. I was down at the ballpark. I was doing radio shows and that Twitter Canada was around our office a lot. And they promoted, they gave blue check marks to a bunch of us just to kind of add credibility to the work we were doing in terms of Twitter. I I've said this in our chat. I think the other three guys on this chat and especially Josh are much better Twitter guys than I am. They should have blue check marks before me. I just chime in here and there with serious sports takes, but the blue check mark clearly came from my time in media. I left media around 2017, I believe 2016, somewhere in there. And I think my Twitter game is probably the worst in this group, but oh, whatever. I'm just saying I would verify Josh over me. Um, he works for Russell. Come on. Um, but yeah, that's where it came from. It has nothing to do with these guys. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's just, I'm the only one with a fully media background and, some of the work that like, for example, like Joe fan does, like that was the stuff I was doing for just a variety of different stores for seven to eight years. Yeah. It's uh, I think generally for folks that are curious about that stuff, um, if you work for a credential media outlet, uh, that's the, the most direct path. And in, in a lot of those cases in, in our line of work to being verified. Um, and so, you know, you'll see most of the folks that are on the beat, um, are verified and it has not a lot to do with how many followers you have or not at all. who follows you or anything that the other folks might think is, is critical. So, um, you know, I think they're looking to, to make sure that there's, you know, uh, some credibility to, to at least knowing who this person is, if they're going to be a source of information for the rest of the network. So, um, yeah, uh, honestly, I don't, I've never personally spent too much time thinking about it. It's kind of ironic that there are some folks on there who we consider friends of the show who are verified, but they're actually not the person that they, <laughs> they say they are, which is uh, hilarious to me in all sorts of ways. Um, but, you know, that that's the answer to the question uh, that uh, we had there. 
Um, next question. Uh, Silk Monkey asks, uh, let's go to you with this one, uh, Mr. Ernst. Uh, who gets bounced from the rotation when Jaron Reed gets back on the roster? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, they will – somebody's going to have to lose snaps, obviously. Uh, but I, I don't know that anyone's going to just get completely bounced. Like, they're going to still try to rotate um, Woods and Puna. Um, and, and you might see those two get the majority of snaps for, you know, a couple weeks after Reed's back. And, and then they use Reed more in just pass rush situations or, or something like that um, to work him back in. Um, but they're going to use all three of those guys. Um, so it could be someone like Rasheem Green, actually, who I think has been seeing a lot of uh, snaps in nickel situations, and, and that might go away uh, as Reed comes back. Uh, so it might be a couple guys that you don't really expect, but I think it's going to be more about just, you know, taking some snaps here and there from a couple different guys as opposed to any one guy getting bounced out. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be a tough one. Uh, you know, I think Al Woods and Puna Ford have to be part of the rotation ongoing. Um, after that, I mean, Quentin Jefferson has been their most consistent pass rusher, and he's been on the inside. But I think you're right. To some extent, Quentin Jefferson last year was exclusively five technique for the most part. He was moved to the outside. So maybe when Jaron Reed comes back, he gets pushed outside. Maybe that does mean that Rasheem Green – gets gets pushed out you know, through a series of, of moves but as far as Woods, Ford, Reed I think that's pretty clear that all three of those guys are going to continue to get significant reps um, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, Al Woods had a really really good game last week um, was actually the top graded player on the defense so um, good question there from Silk Monkey thanks for your support um, and then uh, Adam Carthu uh, asks, uh, do you think Pete is going to be stubborn and stay in base defense the more, majority of time going forward? The Hawks are getting absolutely torched in the intermediate pass game, and it doesn't seem sustainable. Uh, anyone have strong feelings on this one that they'd like to take? If the question is, do you think Pete will remain stubborn? Doesn't matter what comes after it. The dude's like 103 years old. He's been coaching football forever. Yes, he will remain stubborn. Yeah, well, you know, an interesting twist on that, I would say, because I agree with you on that point, is he seems to believe that uh, that they figured something out with this three-linebacker defense. But I think that there's also an underlying part. If they had a player of Justin Coleman's caliber for nickel, would he be stuck? Would he be focused on this? I don't know if he would. Like, I think that part, there's another factor here, which is just, I don't think he has that much confidence in their nickel defense. So um, that's the other piece to me that, that plays a role, but I'd agree overall with what you're saying, Nathan. I don't think they're going to be moving out of it anytime soon. Um, I will also, something we noted last time, I think those linebackers are adjusting to this defense still. I mean, this used to be a single high safety defense Bobby was patrolling the middle it was often Bobby and KJ as the two linebackers in nickel situations I don't think Bobby or KJ are playing particularly well this year um, and I think they seem to be adjusting to, to their different roles especially in coverage and Michael Kendricks I mean I think he's made the most plays maybe but he's also missed a bunch too so 
I don't know that that linebacker trio has really been as great as a lot of us had hoped they would be. And maybe some of it will get better after they get a little bit more experience. We heard a lot of conversations this week and I'm going to skip a question here for now. I mean, Evan, you and Jeff were going at it in our chat about whether the Seahawks pass rush is going to get any better. Evan, what's your, like, what's up your butt on this one? Like, what's your problem with the pass rush? Come on. That's the greatest intro to a Q&A question. Um, number one, I hope they get better, obviously. Number two, I think Clowney has been great. Uh, number three, I think Ansa has been not great. I, I, I guess my frustration is like they haven't been able to put it all together in key defensive moments in big games. The Rams game, I don't even think we got a sack on Jared Goff. Like that is the type of stuff where, hey, you are investing a shit ton of money and a shit ton of draft capital into the into the defensive line. You have LJ Collier, who is a who has, who has been like a healthy scratch the past four weeks, um, has made very minimal plays. I get he missed training camp. I get it, but he's healthy now, and he's a first round pick. And if he's the player you expect him to be, I expect him to be sort of at least making an impact where hey you call out his name on sunday maybe once or twice we haven't seen anything from him on we paid 10 million dollars with incentives that's a pretty good size contract um he's an elite player that everybody thought he was when we signed him if he's fully healthy i expect him to be producing like an elite player i don't think that's a big conundrum i just have i, I really have extreme frustration with this oh don't expect, expect anything out of the pass rush. They're not going to be ready for another six weeks. That's bullshit. We're paying them a ton. We have invested a ton of into the defensive line. We can't wait six weeks for this defensive line to get their shit together. This defense has been woefully inconsistent. We have some really difficult opponents coming up. This team cannot afford six weeks of, of a whole position group just taking six weeks off. Unacceptable. They have to produce immediately, especially – with what we've invested resource-wise into them. There's other groups that are competing just as much as um, other groups. Like the defensive line needs to, I, I, I guess I guess my frustration is really with the coaching excuse. Like it, to me, it's complete bullshit to say like, oh, they're really not going to be good for another five weeks. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable with the level of talent and resource allocation you've given this position group. Jeff. That's my rant. I'm going to say I actually didn't disagree with what Evan said for at least the beginning, but then he kind of went off on a tangent there. I, I see what you're saying. Like, I'm definitely not coming out and saying the pass rush, like, is it's okay that they've been bad because they haven't been good. They've been bad by every pretty much metric. The problem with what you're saying is there's just way too much black and white, just blanket statements of no context. Like just because you invest money in a position and talent in a position does not mean they're going to be good right away. Or like Bobby Wagner, for example, like if you want to talk about money invested, like he's been underwhelming. Like we could look at that area, but just to talk about what you're saying. Um, there's a reason why Ziggy Ansah came available. We'll start with him. He had a major shoulder injury. And sure. remember like Tyler Lockett, how he was coming off injury. He's a guy who barely played in a year. He didn't play training camp. He's not only that, he's learning a new system. So obviously I would expect a little more than what he's shown so far. But I think as a fan, you got to kind of be realistic of what you're expecting Ziggy Ansah to be three weeks into it, 
guy who hasn't played in a year. So what what is a reasonable expectation for Ansa this year then? Like considering the injury history, considering what he's being paid, considering he, his he experience paid that much because he had the injury. Like he was a guy who was like looked at the year before as the number one free agent in the class. He's he's a guy that a lot of people didn't think would play till midseason. Like I think you need to see something in the second half of the year. I don't think he, I think you expect a little more, but I don't think it's reasonable to be like, what's he going on with them? I think if you remember our conversation before they got clowny, once Collier went down, like what were we saying about this defensive line? We were talking about it. Like it was a freaking joke. Like we thought they were going to be worse than the league. And Collier is a guy who's not an athletic player. He's a guy who Brian's talked about a lot. This is pretty much a redshirt year for him saying just because he was a first round pick, he probably shouldn't have been a first round pick. That's on the front office more than it's on the coaches or anything else. This is a guy who's more of a run stuffer, power player. I just don't know where, why we're expecting this unit to be good. And then Clowney came out after I said all this the other day, Clowney came out today in that article in the Seattle Times and pretty much relayed what I was saying. Like, there's a big learning curve when you're playing a new scheme. Like Vaughn Miller, for example, they switched the Vic Fangio scheme. He has two sacks. He's a dynamic pass rusher. I don't know if it's a coaching issue. I just think it's an issue of where you replace an entire unit. Listen, if by week 10 or something, this is still going on and they're still talking about how they're going to get better soon, then we got a real problem. I'm still with you. I'm still frustrated. Like against the Rams offensive line, which was pretty bad, they didn't shit. They did nothing. And this week they're playing an even worse offensive line. I guess that's where I slightly differ than you. I'm a little bit skeptical that it's going to come together. Okay, then that's totally fair. And that's my concern. I don't like, agree with him, Jeff. Come on, man. Don't no, but that, but, but that's my concern, though. We're we're entering week six. Like this is not week three. It's not week two. But this is not week is one, week three, right? Oh, but dude, Evan, Evan, listen. Like, Ziggy Ansa was not only a free agent that the the Lions didn't bring back, but nobody in the entire league signed him in free agency. He was sitting on the street all the way until May. Like nobody was going to sign him. So okay, there were well, real issues with him physically that were their big risks. He's sure. coming back. You've got Jadavian Clowney, who by all, all right, was actually not a great pass rusher so far in his career. Like that was one of the things we all talked about. We knew it coming in as much as we liked him. He has not been a great pass rusher. He's been an elite run defender, but he's not been a great pass rusher. He has improved. But, you know, and then you look at a guy like Frank Clark going the other way, who was a really good pass rusher. That guy's been a zero in Kansas City. So, you know, I do think it's fair to, to understand that you've got these guys coming together. And then you got Jaron Reed, who they had no idea was going to be suspended for six games. Something <laughs> that happened years ago. Uh, so, a lot of things change, and I think the coaches are are doing you know what they can. None of that means that any of us are happy with the pass rush, but I think I think what Jeff's saying makes a lot of sense to me. That and, and what we're seeing from what we're hearing from Jadavian Clowney, what we're hearing from Pete in this case makes sense that they're learning, they're figuring it out. And one of the things Clowney said was they were actually rushing in the same. They kept rushing into the pa- same pass rush lanes. I can guarantee you the coaches are not coaching them to do that. I think that they're trying to run them through the reps. You get limited practice reps. It's going to take a little time for them to get that, that rhythm. 
let's hope let's hope that this week you know the 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 browns offensive line got destroyed by by the 49ers i don't think the seahawks defensive line is anywhere near as good as the 49ers defensive line but can they get some pressure i, I think this is a place to start the last two I, I okay that's reasonable but the last two offensive lines we've played are so bad the cardinals are horrific the rams are bad there were big moments in that Rams game in the third and fourth quarter where Jared Goff had all day to throw on this defense. There were big drives at the end of the fourth quarter where just a little bit of pressure, maybe a sack to the quarterback, would have ended the game. They didn't come up in those moments. And I get it. I get it. New scheme. They're new to the team. They got a gel. They're still learning. But it's frustrating because these games matter. These games matter. These are the games you have to win if you're going to earn the number one or number two seed in the playoffs. But, Evan, you know, if, Evan, but they won both those games. Backs. The Seahawks had an 11% sack rate against the Cardinals. That's damn good. They had four sacks in that game. I oh, think, that's actually more than I thought they did. I think you're remembering differently. I mean, they went against the Saints and had zero sacks. Their last two oh, home oh. games, their last two home games, they have a total of zero sacks. It's not good. And the Rams' offensive line is – shit this year it's really bad the saints offensive line is not saints is one of the best pass protecting offensive lines in the game it's why a guy like teddy bridgewater who's not that good is actually playing pretty well so you know they had five sacks in the first week which is pretty good they had one sack against the steelers they had zero sacks against the saints they had four sacks against uh the cardinals and they had zero sacks against the rams so They've been inconsistent. It hasn't been great, but there's been flashes. And I mean, I can't believe I'm like defending <laughs> As someone who loves the pass rush more than anything else. It has been incredibly frustrating. What I wanted to see more than anything else last week, besides winning, was to see Jared Goff just getting destroyed by Jadavian Clowney and Ziggy Ansah, and it never happened. So that was super frustrating. I'm with you on that. I'm, I don't think it's hopeless, though. You know, I, I just, I just, uh, I think it's going to take some time. I do, I, I do believe it's going to take a little time. Um, man, we're, we're got, we've got so many questions. We're, we're just getting started here. Um, uh, take a couple here before, before we keep I going. I think we spooked Evan. Yeah. Well, Evan just keeps getting up because he's probably uh, got his wife, you know, yelling at him. And I have two very furry children that love to scream and make noise. I'm waiting for, uh, you know, the wellness check to come to your front door again uh, after you scream, uh, like you did after the, the CFC, the, the Rams. But um, Nicholas Cahoon asks, he's a patron, asks, um, not to take anything away from Ken Norton Jr. has accomplished in the past season, but do you think the Hawks would pursue Dan Quinn to take over as a defensive coordinator if he became available at the end of the season? Nathan, take this one. I just don't get it. Like, <clears throat> what has this dude ever done of note other than blow leads to Tom Brady? Like, he – I I don't know. He was good in Seattle when they had just an absolutely loaded defense, and I, I, that's, I guess that's it. Like – his defenses have fallen apart the last couple of years. He's, uh, again, uh, completely blown big leads in Super Bowls. Uh, I, I just don't get it. Like, I, I'm not – like, I, I don't think he's bad necessarily. I don't think he's a terrible defensive coordinator, but I don't get why – I mean, it's just like a glory days thing, right? Like, let's go back to when 
you know, let's go back to 2013. Like, yeah, cool. I don't know that Dan Quinn's going to get you there. I don't know what he's shown you that says he's going to get you back to that point. Yeah, I think the big thing, the attraction with Dan Quinn, and the reason I always loved that coupling with Quinn and Carroll is Carroll's specialty is secondary and Quinn is a defensive line coach by nature. And Quinn was always able to find ways. To, I mean, there was a reason that when he was the DC, instead of Gus Bradley, that defensive line found ways to rush the passer in more meaningful, more consistent ways. So I think that's what he brings. It doesn't mean that he overall, from a defensive coordinating standpoint, is the best, but I certainly believe he brings more than someone like Ken Norton does. And um, I think he's a better fit than Gus Bradley because Gus Bradley is a secondary guy as well. So Gus Bradley was a guy that was overlapping with Pete Carroll's strength. Dan Quinn was complimentary. So I, I think they were a good, a good match. There's no way Dan Quinn's going to take a DC job, you know, anytime soon. I think he, he he's I think he's a guy. When I was just say my personal experience in meeting him and meeting Gus and some of those guys, like Dan Quinn screamed leader. Like he is just a football guy. I can imagine every owner that interviews him or every coach, whoever interviews him, is like, yeah, I want this guy in the room because he's just steel uh like super confident i remember asking him one time about like whether a guy was going to play five technique or three technique and he looked at me like what do you know <laughs> why are you asking me questions like that and i was like he, he's he's super intense um but he's he's like he's smart he's a smart guy so um anyway i I don't think he's coming back. I don't think it's worth spending a ton of time on it. Um, if they did have an option to bring him back, I certainly would take him over Ken Norton. Um, all right. Nate, uh, Evan, this question comes from Jose Rodriguez, longtime listener and, and uh, patron. So if the Hawks were to make one more trade this year, one more trade, what position do you think they should trade for? Mm, that's a really good question. Oh boy. Uh, I think everybody immediately goes to corner. Um, I am not of that opinion. So I want to get that out of the way immediately. I don't think a Jalen Ramsey trade is ideal. Uh, it's going to cost two first round picks. So I think the corner position is actually fine. Shaquille is playing really well. Trey flowers is okay. He's a, he's a decent corner. I don't think, I don't think upgrading that other corner spot suddenly fixes a ton of issues on this team. Um, I immediately, my mind jumps to free safety, but I'm really hoping Marquise Blair makes a dent at that position. Then I, we go to linebacker where we're completely, you know, stacked defensive line. We have a ton of pass rush pieces that are supposedly going to come together in a few weeks. So I'm not sure I would add more there. Um, it would probably be, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to reverse Uno this question. I would prefer the Seahawks to trade Jermaine Ifedi. I don't think Jermaine Ifedi should be starting all 16 games for the Seahawks this year. I think they should try and offload him to um, some team that wants. What you know, would you take young... Ifedi? If I was an opposing team? No, 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 no. If you're Seattle, what's your what's your asking price? What's my asking price? No, you the question because he's gonna team, probably get a good contract. Pick. You which, give the other team a draft pick to take a Fetty is how it would work. <laughs> but yeah, no, but you're anyway. joking, right? What about the that's comp? not the question. <laughs> he's probably gonna get you a good comp pick. 
Yeah, I think he'd probably net you a fourth on it, a third or a fourth. Um, I'd probably ask for, I think, a third or a, or a like a super end of the round second. Oh, like roughly like clowny compensation? Right no, about there? No one's giving a third. There's no way in hell anyone's giving anything close to that. First of all, I don't think there's anyone that would trade for him in the league. And then, oh, I don't know about that. And if they would, you'd be super lucky to get a seventh round pick for him. I will say right now, if he walks in free agency, he's getting a deal more than eight to nine million dollars a year. I, I think that you'd get a, a condition, conditional seventh round pick in the twenty thirty five draft <laughs> for Jermaine. <laughs> You, you, you gotta do the money ball thing where you trade you know him away. Funny, stops playing him. You know what's funny about Effetti though is he's a guy I could totally see going to like the Patriots or somebody and being really good. No, like just need. Yeah, yeah. Starts over in a new system. Actually has good offensive line coaching. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't think there's any chance of that? But, um, uh, Jeff, you know, other positions that have come up in this conversation before. Wide receiver, AJ Green names come up. Um, you know, uh, safety. Not that there's one that's available, but you know, for me, if there was a decent safety available, far and away, that's a position I want to upgrade. What about receiver? Would you be Would you be supportive of the Seahawks going out and bringing in a receiver? It all depends on the price. Um, right now, it looks like. Jerron Brown is getting a run as the third receiver on the team. I said a couple of weeks ago, I'd like to see a lot less of Jerron Brown, even none of him. He fumbled again last week. Well, not again. He fumbled pretty badly last week. And yeah, if you can get AJ Green for a reasonable price, I would 100% be down for that. If you have Green, Metcalf, and Lockett with Will Disley, that's a crazy offense. And that's the best way to neutralize your pretty shitty defense. But obviously, the, right now, the biggest problem, I agree with Evan, that corner is not – they're not getting beat deep. It's more of the middle of the field stuff where they're not tackling. And, like, Gerald Everett was just running free all day on missed tackles last game. They've had issues with tackling Kamara and Kyler Murray. and So, middle of the field players, like a free safety. To me, that's the biggest area of this need because it's the tackling because they're allowing those short coverages, those short guys in their zone coverages, and they're just missing on them, and they're whiffing and – but yeah, if AJ Green became available and the price isn't crazy, yeah, I'm all in. But get your on Brown off the field and imagine Russell with those guys. I'm all in. Nathan, I'll we'll touch on you with you on this one and then we'll we'll move on. But um, you know, nickel corner, another spot we talked about, or we've talked about before. You know, if you if you could pick one spot on defense, let's say, to upgrade, um, which spot do you think, with, without knowing the specific player, which spot do you think the team would benefit most if they got a, an improvement at that, that position? I mean, the question is whether they <clears throat> are doing this base defense thing because they think it's good, just generally, philosophically or if they're doing it because they botched the nickel corner position. Um, if they're doing it because they botched the nickel corner position, which, you know, they kind of have, uh, then I think going to a nickel corner, getting a nickel corner, going back to their normal defense, um, I think that could be really impactful. And and that one probably doesn't even need to be, like, some big trade. That, that That's not a Jalen Ramsey trade, right? That, that could be 
it could be another Coleman or Burley trade or, you know, maybe something a little bigger, but they don't have to go crazy to add to that spot. So I, I think that that's the spot where they could really improve the most just because it could change what they're doing and, and get them back to some stuff that's more tried and true for them. Yeah, I, I think of all of them, it seems like the most realistic place that they could find talent um, to, to upgrade and have a, a real impact. But it is interesting what's going on in Cincinnati. You've got, you know, potentially Geno Atkins up. You've potentially got Carlos Dunlap available. You potentially have A.J. Green available. You know, some of these teams, there's a lot of teams that are hopeless right now. Like, and but we're just talking be- about how they're we're, we're just talking about how they're trying to make these guys they have fit right and like who yeah. loses snaps when Reed comes back because Ford and Woods deserve snaps and all this. So, like, yeah, I mean, Geno Atkins is great, like, you find space for him, right? Same thing, like, we were talking about Trey Flowers and Jalen Ramsey, like, you Trey Flowers, you'll figure it out, right? Al Woods will figure it out if you go get Geno Atkins, but. Um, I think if you're looking at a spot that's really revolutionary or that's going to really change things for this defense, it's either a nickel or free safety. Yeah, there, there's someone in the chat who is insistent about Trent Williams. And I just got to say, there have been a lot of teams offering a lot more than what the Seahawks are going to offer for Trent Williams. There's no way the Seahawks are pulling off a Trent Williams trade. So, um, you know, one of the challenges there is I don't think the Seahawks believe they have as much of a problem at right tackle as the rest of us do or else they'd be willingly trying some of their other options on the roster. So um, that's, we're going to leave it at that for, for Patreon questions this week. Thank you guys for submitting. Um, I know there's some more, but uh, we want to turn our attention to the Browns game the last kind of closing part of the show. So uh, this Browns team, who are they? You know, they go into Baltimore and just trounce the Ravens, put up 40 points. Um, Nick Chubb is running around, uh, making Earl Thomas protect his hamstrings. And then, uh, next week they are just steamrolled by the Niners. They were never in that game. Not even for like 30 seconds. They were just done right away. And not much of that game you guys watched, but they gave up on that game. You could see it in how they were playing. They were just like waiting for the clock to go off so they could go home. And, Odell Beckham even mentioned that he was like, yeah, I was trying to take that punt return to get some energy because everyone was just kind of trying to get back to back home and he fumbled it. But, you know, Baker Mayfield, the worst starting quarterback passer rating wise in the NFL, he's thrown eight interceptions and has four touchdowns. Who is this team? Like, and, 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 and talk to me about how you guys feel about the Seahawks going into this game. I will start by just saying, I don't have a good feeling about this game. I, I, I look at the numbers. The Seahawks are clearly they're way better on offense than the, the, the Browns defense looks to be. And their offense for the Browns is so bad that it makes the Seahawks mediocre defense look pretty good. Um, I'm a little concerned about the, the Browns getting back. their starting corners in Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, who haven't been there for a few weeks. Uh, but something about this, I just, I'm a little concerned. This is going to be one of those games where we look back and we're like, I cannot believe the Seahawks dropped that game. So tell me someone who's optimistic, someone who's feeling good. Talk to me about why. I mean, this is just a bad Brown, bad Browns team. <clears throat> like it, uh, every year, especially early, there are weird results that throw us off the scent. And everybody had this Brown Browns team buried. 
until they went out and boat raced the Ravens. But then, like you said, they turned around and they got demolished. They weren't even competitive. And all of the like all the ways that you would measure a team from a, a stats perspective, it tells us the Browns are bad. Like I knew that they were not they had not done well this year. I just looked them up in DVOA. They're 26, right? Uh, not not good. So yeah, maybe they'll get some players back. Maybe they they haven't been totally healthy. Um, it's a road game, so you know, look anybody. They, anybody can lose to anybody in the NFL, right? Like that, that's still true. But I mean, this this is probably just a case of what is a pretty good team against what is a pretty bad team. And I don't think there's much reason to think Seattle should lose this game from what we've seen from both teams this year. Jeff, the, the Browns, I believe, were eighth in defensive DVOA as recently as like a week ago or two weeks ago um, before this this prat fall on Monday night. Um, they're down to 15 now, by the way. Yeah, they've, they've, they've really dropped. So, um, hard to argue that the, other than the special teams, which has been really good, it's hard to argue that, that the defense isn't one of the strengths of this team. Um, do you feel like this is a defense that can slow down the Seahawks? Uh, you know, are you worried about Miles Garrett going against Jermaine Effetti on snap after snap? Well, you stole my answer. I said there's one way where this game could just become one of those ugly games for the Seahawks, and it's that exact matchup. Um, we've talked about Jermaine Effetti so much on this show. We don't need to revisit what we all think of him. We all know. He's going against arguably one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. He's got a ton of sacks already, generates pressure at pretty high rates, and that's a matchup that can just blow up everything they're doing. And that's what would if anything's going to scare you about the Browns it's that matchup we're going to see an old friend Sheldon Richardson this week he's going to probably line up a lot against Jamarco Jones but the Browns just overall they more seem like a collection of talent and not a team and every year someone wins the offseason and everyone gets they get all this hype and we're, we're kind of seeing it with the defensive line group in Seattle right now where all these pieces are added but they don't seem like a team they don't seem like they're going in the same direction and they just have a lot of talent, but they don't seem to be working in unison and more so than any other sport, especially with baseball, what managers do that nowadays compared to what football coaches do. I think the head coach of a football team has a massive impact on personality. I think it has a massive impact on how a team plays. And I think they totally whiffed on their head coaching hiring. And I think Freddie kitchens is not ready for this job. I think he's kind of a goof to be honest. And I think the team has taken on his personality and they switched coaches after that hot stretch last year. And I think they kind of bought into their own hype and Baker Mayfield talked a ton in the off season. Like Odell Beckham's been super quiet. Like he hasn't said anything. His stats are really low. He's barely been impacting the game. But I think if you watch the Browns play and I have a bunch, their offensive line is really, really bad. I know we said the same thing last week, but Baker Mayfield is completely skittish. He was like eight of 25 last week. And if you get pressure on him, he changes his numbers against good teams last year versus bad teams were like Kirk cousins esque last year. So if you get pressure on him, and I know we're, we talked about this last week, so it's probably going to sound hollow, but you can make him look completely skittish. And again, they just don't look like a team right now. They look like just a bunch of talented players trying to figure out what they are and like, you couldn't be more different than they were in week four and week five. And I called Kyle Shanahan the best play caller in the league in our chat this week. And 
He just picked them apart, completely picked them apart. And I don't, I just think every Seahawks game is going to be stressful. I just, that's the way I'm wired. Pete Carroll football is like that. So I think it's going to be another stressful game, but the Seahawks definitely should win this game. I, I love, uh, I'm going to give credit to Bud's Miggle Jib in our chat. First of all, great, great handle. Um, second of all, he calls Kitchens a Tom Sula-esque hire. Yeah. I miss Jim Tom Sula and him farting on the sidelines and, you know, just being a just awful coach. You don't, you, you don't remember that story, Nathan? I won't go into detail, but there's Tom Sula was just, he was, I mean, it was in a, uh, it was in a press conference that, that he did that. Um, oh yeah. That, you know, <laughs> there's conspiracy <laughs> theories around that. Uh, it was the best. My favorite memory of Tom Sula was just that they would show his like, they love to show his job history and it was like janitor. <laughs> like it was a bunch of like jobs that I have had in my life. And then uh-huh. at the bottom was head coach. It was like, oh, yeah. I think it's possible. Uh, it was so fun watching him go to 49ers. Um, I wish he was still around. Um, Evan. Hey, so the Browns have Odell Beckham Jr. They have Jarvis Landry. And they have Ricky Seals-Jones, who, by the way, is, I think, a better tight end than Gerald Everett, who just carved up the Seahawks. Um, and the Seahawks have struggled, you know, with, with defending some of those, those receivers or, 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 you know, at the receiver position. Um, is Baker Mayfield as bad as, as he looks? You know, do you think uh, – would you shake his hand if, if he uh, walked up to you right now? Um, where, where do you go? How do you feel about uh, the, the, the Browns offense against the Seahawks defense? First of all, Baker Mayfield is a complete punk, but I love him. And I think, you know, this team, for everything we said about them, yes, they're inconsistent. Uh, yes, they don't look whole. Yes, they don't look complete. But at the end of the day, like Jeff said, this team has some talent. They really do. They have Jarvis Landry. They have OBJ. They have Nick Chubb, who's had a phenomenal start to the year. Um, Baker Mayfield, when he has time, is really, really good. Um, I mean, it's really hitting on the points you guys have hit. Like, I think if you if the Seahawks can apply pressure to Baker Mayfield, he's going to crumble, and the Seahawks are going to win this game. I, the pass rush can make this game very easy and non-stressful. Um, my concern, though, really, and Jeff, you mentioned it, yeah, OBJ's been quiet. But you know what? If Tedrick Thompson is starting on Sunday – that's a great opportunity for OBJ and those receivers to get going again for their, that Browns offense to get going again. Um, they have some weapons. They really do. And I think the key to this game is the pass rush. Like you guys nailed it. I, I, their offensive line is not good. It should be a get right game for our pass rush. Hopefully Clowney Ansa and Collier can make an impact this game. So it should be, <laughs> it, it should be interesting. <laughs> Um, all right, let's close up with, with, uh, predictions. Um, Nathan's favorite part of the show, Evan, you just went through and talked about how you think this game is going to go. What, what do you think the final score is? Uh, I think our pass rush does get to them. I think this is a closer game than it needs to be. Um, I'm going to go 24 to 13. All right. Uh, Jeff. Where are you on this game? 
I think it's going to be close for a while, but I think the Seahawks do pull away in the fourth quarter. I think that's when someone on the pass rush finally makes a play and the Seahawks do their usual frustrate everyone for three quarters, make dumb coaching decisions, and then pull away in the fourth quarter. I just assume every Seahawks game is going to go like that. But So I'm going to go 27 to 16, Seahawks. Okay. Mr. Tom Sula? Uh, <clears throat> uh, oh boy. Um, you should know that Sean M in chat has this Hawks winning 45 to seven. I, well, I'm, I'm mad. Cause I think Jeff took the one I wanted. I, I want 27, 13 as well. And I'm just going to go with it. I not afraid to follow his footsteps. All right, I, I'm gonna be. You know, remember that I I, I said this because I'm I'm not always uh not always the homer. Um, I've got the Browns 24-21 um, winning this game. I think uh, I think this is this is one that the Seahawks do not find a way to, to take home, and I think that we're gonna look at this next game against the Ravens and needing to win that to stay on track. So. Um, I'm looking forward to it. 10 a.m. games, I love. We get to, you know, wake up, roll out of bed, and uh, get some breakfast and then watch some football. So looking forward to it. I I love being wrong when I predict bad things. So I really, really hope the Seahawks uh, surprise me. But uh, other than that, um, if you guys haven't already, please subscribe uh, up on the, the YouTube channel. We've got a growing uh, subscriber list there. A lot of good stuff coming. Still waiting on the next Cable Thanos video. Um, we're we're kind of pressuring him all the time, but the, we got the Tyler Lockett one. Did the we? Mario Kart with Russ and Tyler Lockett. It went out on uh, Russ's Twitter. Oh, all right. Well, we'll we'll go. It was, with... it was a short one, but it was good. Okay. All right. Well, everyone should go check that out. Um, and then uh, you know, please uh, subscribe on either SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Apple. Apple, iTunes, sorry, I said that already. Uh, Google Play is what I meant. Um, all those are available. Leave comments, leave reviews. Those are super helpful for us. Tell other people about the show or join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Um, so again, we donate um, a minimum of $10,000 every year to Ben's Fund. And generally we try to do 20,000. Um, and whatever we get on top of that, we try to reinvest in the show to get more good content, more good guests, all that kind of stuff. So I uh, really appreciate you guys supporting the show and uh, it's been fun talking with you again. So uh, with that, I'm going to say good night, go Hawks. And uh, let's, let's hope we're talking about a five and one team come next week. All right. Take care, everybody.